This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM, brought to you by Carson. My name is Arif Roos, and as usual, in the studio with me is Mr. Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us this evening. We have lots to talk about today. As usual, the show is split into three parts. Part one, we'll talk about some news and a car launch. And then part two, we've got a whole host of cars to talk about. And in part three, we've got a pretty uh, exciting and cute orange little Volkswagen, don't we, Daniel? Yes. It's the Cross Polo. But without further ado, let's head to the news. Daniel, I assume you've seen the new James Bond because you've passed us this story. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> this has been the most interesting 007 movie. And I don't want to give away the plot of the story or you know ruin anybody's uh, viewing pleasure. But I had to mention this from a car standpoint of view because, you know, in every Bond movie, we always talk about the cars in the Bond movies, right? Mm-hmm. Year in, year out, it's been, you know, Aston Martin. And Aston Martin is, of course, a still a dominant uh, vehicle in this movie. And then, you know, in between, you get a lot of British cars. And, you know, for this movie, one of the biggest noise that was made over the last couple of years mm-hmm. was the fact that the new Defender was going to be showed at this movie. Yeah. And from what we gathered was, the new Defender would be the star of the show. Now... We saw this movie and we just had to mention this. In one scene somewhere in Norway, I think, James Bond is being chased by a range, couple of Range Rover SVR. Yeah. This is a rocket flagship SUV from Range Rover. 600 horsepower can go anywhere at any time. And, you know, they're big, they're heavy, they're fast, they're intimidating, you know. And, and as the chase builds up, you see these two Range Rovers chasing James Bond. Now, here's the best part. James Bond is driving a 1990s model <laughs> Toyota Prado. <laughs> now, otherwise in Malaysia known as the Prado GX. It's not even the Prado TX or the TZ. This is about base model as it gets, I guess. Exactly. The TX and the TZ, which you find a lot in Sabah and Sarawak, those are the premium model Prados and um, they have a lot of features. But this is the GX, the base model, which was sold by UMW Toyota here in Malaysia. Same kind of model. Very basic, simple suspension setup, good off-road ability, strong, reliable and everything else. Now, James Bond at the wheel of the Toyota Prado GX manages to push Two Range Rover SVRs into the bush, you know? <laughs> He's a very good driver, but <laughs> that looked really unrealistic, okay? But anyway, he managed <laughs> to do it. And the way the Range Rovers went into the bush, tumbling and turning and everything else, it just was like super awesome. Then, as he goes along this open field, a couple of motorcycles come along and they're trying motorcycles, you know, British brand and everything else. Those look fine. And then you see... From the top of the hill crest, a couple of defenders, the brand new defenders. And these are long wheelbase defenders, big wheels and all that. And they're flying through the air, you know. And then when they land, they're rock solid, they're sturdy, and they chase this Prado. Yeah. And again, this chap 
called James Bond, who's got a license to trash British-engineered vehicles. <laughs> exactly. He takes his two cars out. He takes both defenders out. It almost sounds like a Toyota ad, to be honest. That's the thing, you see, because when we were watching this movie, at some point, I started laughing, you know, and then people, because, you know, not everyone there is a car nut, you know, I'm, I'm the car nut. And I started laughing and, you know, my wife was with me and she looked at me like, why are you laughing? I said, can you imagine what's happening on the screen? <laughs> How can a Toyota Prado GX hammer four of the best built, you know, globally tested vehicles and brand new vehicles like they were nothing? You know what I mean? It's a Land Cruiser. It can do anything. <laughs> And here's the best part. He carries on with the Prado and then he goes into the woods and there's hardly any damage on the Prado. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a few nicks and dents you know, on the door and the fender and everything else, but the car is driving perfectly well. The engine is humming along. There is not an issue. Meanwhile, the four Land Rovers are upside down in the ditch and on fire. Now, I'm thinking, how much money did Toyota pay for this? <laughs> it looks like a project that was in partnership with Jaguar Land Rover and also Triumph Motorcycles because all the motorcycles used were Triumph. But the Toyota Prado came out as the huge hero. So, after I put up my article, I started getting comments online like, you know, hey, now I want to sell my Prado. You think I can get higher prices? <laughs> Do you think the prices of Prado GX going up? And then people were asking me, hey, this one is a good vehicle. You think worth it to buy? 30000 20000 Because it's a 1990s Prado. That's the value today, twenty to 30000 And it is probably in somebody's backyard somewhere, right? Or at the back of a plantation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that was something you got to look forward to. I urge everyone to go and watch this movie just to see this one five-minute scene. <laughs> we are in danger of turning into a movie show. But little known fact, I think this is only the second Toyota to feature inside a James Bond movie. The first one was a 2000 GT, which had to become a roadster because at the time of recording, Sean Connery was just simply too tall for the car. Mm, okay. And the effects of that 2000 GT was everybody wanted to buy a Toyota 2000 GT. Perhaps with this new Bond film, people will start looking at the Prado in a different way. They've already started. They've already started. On to some more serious stuff because uh, we have to talk about the environment. If you didn't know, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP26, was happening in the past couple of weeks. There was a big hoo-ha from this conference, specifically this year, about how hypocritical and ineffective it is in helping to tackle the climate crisis all over the world. There were lots of pledges flying in left and right from countries and their representatives to do this and that. But many observers were left feeling skeptic and discontent with how it had gone. Similar things were seen in the automotive industry. There was a, there was a recent pledge to go full electric by 2040, in which six car makers have signed. Mercedes-Benz, General Motors, Ford, Volvo, Jaguar, Land Rover, and mm. Chinese car makers BYD. As you have known, Daniel, there were many other car companies who did not sign it. Volkswagen, Honda, Toyota, Nissan, BMW, and Hyundai. These companies would like to stress that they aren't against phasing out emissions, but they do have reservations about signing the pledge and what it means to them. Because if they do sign it, it requires a full commitment to electric vehicles, 20 years of commitment towards electric vehicles. And at this moment... It might not be the car of the future, as some people are putting it. The other point is that there has been a lack of government push and support in developing infrastructure, which leads to inequity in global markets, such as here. So what do you think of that, Daniel? I, I'm on the side of the, the, the car makers who have not signed it, to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm no expert in this. As what everyone else does, we read up on this, we try and make sense of it. You must understand, in Malaysia, all the car manufacturers, they're not actually developing products here. Everything comes from a third party. 
Mm-hmm. We are more like a car distribution center, okay? Even our two national cars, they have partners. Yeah. So they're relying on what their partners decide and force them to do. So for example now, will Perdua build an electric car? Well, I think they're not looking at it seriously because it's not time yet. Mm. If you want to go into mass market, you must think about pricing, you must think about after sales, you must think about battery degradation, you must think about charging infrastructure and everything else. And then when you talk about Proton, you know, Geely has got so many partnerships for electric vehicles. Why aren't they all already here. We talked about it before with geometry and all that. Yeah. And they launched it in Singapore and not Malaysia. There was a reason for that. And the Malaysian government is saying no tax on electric cars. There's no road tax fee also. That's great news. But still, electric cars are expensive. Whether they're tax-free or not, from the factory, they're expensive. So the premium brands are rolling out their electric cars. And what's happening is you've got a lot of rich people who are just enjoying these tax-free electric cars. We've talked about it before. Rich nations can do it. Like, you know, Norway, Sweden, they can do it because why? Per capita income is huge. Their currency exchange against where they buy the cars from, the cars are not expensive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A normal government servant in Norway can afford an electric car and still have change in his pocket. Yeah. A Malaysian government servant, I'm not talking about a politician, I'm talking about a normal government servant, yep. cannot afford even the cheapest electric car, which is the Renault Zoe when it was being sold here. Now it's not sold anymore, which is 148000 The Nissan Leaf, which is the next cheapest at 188000 has now been reduced to about 160000 plus. And still, a government servant can't afford it. And then you got Hyundai, who just launched the Kona Electric for 150000 Now, the order bank is not in its triple digits. They are still in double digits. You know what I mean? Yep. And we're talking about low double digits. Now, if there was a real push by the Malaysian electric car movement, why are they buying 200 over units of the BMW iX and not 200 units of the Hyundai Kona? Very true. It supports what the other car companies have been saying. You know, there's a serious inequity and lack of thought behind this electric vehicle push in developing the whole network around it. If you ask me, you heard it here first. Someone has just decided, hey, listen, we're not getting enough people to buy our cars. Let's all work together to start this electric car movement. And then, boom, we'll force a lot of people to buy electric cars. And then maybe 10 years down the line, They'll be forced to just junk their cars and get the next generation of emission-free motoring. Meanwhile, mining is going around around the world for lithium-iron and yep. you know manufacturing of battery and everything else. And then factories that used to make petrol-powered cars, jobs are being lost. Subsidiary industries, people who supply all the components for petrol-driven engines, they have lost their jobs. You've shifted the whole economics to an, another part of the world. So what has happened is you're still giving the third world countries less and the developed nations to just laugh hence why everybody was so pissed off about cop 26 and exactly how it affects things only benefits those who are benefiting all this while um there was some other really uh, interesting piece of news that's related to uh you know the the production of electric cars in general it was a big talking point over the past week And it has to do with COP26, zero emissions, electric cars. And it's generally accepted that electric cars are cleaner for the environment. I mean, we all agree on this. No tailpipe emissions, which means less poisonous gases, cleaner cities, which results in bigger smiles and less respiratory health issues for everybody. But there's always the question about, as you mentioned, mining, refinement, logistics, production line, power supply, energy sources. Mm. Volvo, in a bit to show real world figures and in their commitment to sustainability and all of those fancy things, 
tanks have published their life cycle emissions assessment of their petrol-powered XC40 and its electric twin, the C40, both of which are the same cars built on the same factory floor with the same sort of uh, energy source. And the big headline that came from this is... Producing the all-electric C40 creates a 70% larger carbon footprint over petrol-powered XC40. And a third of this figure is due to battery production, with a significant percentage of this 70% uh, being because of aluminium manufacturing. I'm glad Volvo did this. You know, they're being very honest about it. But think about it the other way. All these electric cars need to be charged. Not all of it is going to be done with uh, solar power or hydropower. So they're going to be done with, say, for example, in Malaysia, TNB coal power, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. As you generate more electricity to charge all these cars, where's the source coming from, you know? Exactly. Unless you tell everybody charging stations can only run on solar power, fine. But that's just not realistic, is it? At the moment, it's you see, I'm not going to buy an electric car. I'm not even going to buy a used electric car. I'm going to wait for all this to settle down and see what's the big push in the next few years. Well, if you're ever curious about how far you have to drive your electric car to offset this 70% larger carbon footprint over building a petrol-powered car, right. Volvo has done all of this calculations and they've accounted for the emissions produced at the production stage, including raw materials and logistics and all that stuff. A 200,000-kilometer vehicle life cycle and uh, the recycling disposal stage you know, after the car's been junked. As you mentioned, the amount of green energy supply is very important in this discussion. So they came out with three different figures. So how far would you have to drive your Volvo electric car to, you know, offset and break even compared to the petrol power car? Well, according to the current global energy production, which is about 71% fossil and 29% green energy, you would need to drive your Volvo C40 110,000 electric kilometers before it breaks even compared to the petrol-powered car. So that's more time than people spend owning their car, isn't it? Exactly. And you know, the thing is, as time goes by, we're all spending less and less time in our cars. Our cars are yep. spending more time parked at the office, parked at home, parked at the garage, parked somewhere. The travel time is changing. People talk about traffic jams and all that, but to start, the government in Malaysia, and again, a lot of people are going to be angry with me with this, has to take away the subsidy on petrol. Yes, petrol prices go up, everything will go up, you know, food, this, that, everything else. But people will stop traveling unnecessarily. You don't need to go all the way to Ipoh just to have chicken rice. You know what I mean? There's always the counter-argument to that, which is at the moment we can't afford that because public transport is not available, you know, last mile and everything. Yes, it's inconvenient, but I've taken public transport, not in peak hours, I I will admit. But when I've taken public transport, I can get where I want to go with a little bit of walking, a little bit of hardship and all that, but... I don't have to go to a gym because I'm exercising. We're going off track a little bit. Uh, yes, I think we are. Just some final points about those Volvo calculations, uh, you right. know, and emissions produced, et cetera, et cetera. They are saying that at this current point in time, 2021, if the production line and if the source of energy is fully renewable, the amount of kilometers that you need to drive your electric car is still 48,280 kilometers to break even on the carbon emissions that is being produced by a uh, petrol-powered car. So it's still quite some margin. And obviously, the argument against this is EV production and development is just getting started greener supply chains will eventually develop but it reveals the true scale of you know the global emissions problem the true cost of mining all these raw materials and the current issues that face electric cars and maybe perhaps some people are right electric cars might not be uh, you know the path towards a greener future we shall see 
Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We were going to talk about Subaru's first ever electric car, but we're going to leave that into part two, where we're going to talk about a lot of cars. There were so many cars launched in the past week. So stay tuned for part two on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM, brought to you by Carsum. My name is Arif Roos, and as usual, on the phone lines, on the virtual phone lines, is Mr. Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody, and uh, thank you for still uh, listening to us this evening. We didn't have enough time to talk about the Subaru Solterra, which introduces the new age of Subaru. It is the first electric vehicle, and what better way, Daniel, to introduce it than to make it inspired by their best-selling award-winning car, the Subaru XV. Hmm. It has similar shapes and design cues, but I think far more futuristic with its uh, graphics creases and angular shapes. Even in its plastic cladding, which is weirdly shaped and weirdly placed, but it works. It is, however, much, much bigger than the XV and slightly bigger than the Forester. And it's also quite heavy because it weighs in at two tons. Despite this, very nice looking car, right? It is. And the thing is, even though I know it's based on the Toyota, it's somehow better looking. It is, right? Because the Toyota is just too futuristic. I mean, it's not that it's not good looking, but the Toyota is just too futuristic to the point where you think that, you know, this will not go into production. They can't be serious about this. But then we said that about the CHR many years ago and it came out and it's sold like hotcakes and everybody loves it. So I'm not the, the demographic to make the decision. But this Subaru, I can live with it. Speaking about the futuristic part, this is the same thing we said about that Kia EV6, right? Oh, yes. And yes, it came yes, out yes. exactly as... As is. As is, yeah. <laughs> as Daniel mentioned, the Subaru Solterra is the sister car to the Toyota BZ4X that we introduced a couple of weeks ago. It has a similar powertrain, over 500 kilometers of range, 215 horsepower, all-wheel drive. And Subaru says it will apparently feel solid. It'll be very likable to drive, very utilitarian and comfortable at home on the pavement or making its way up some random hill. So... Both of us will say that we would prefer the Subaru Solterra over the BZ4X. For now, yes, and especially the interior. The interior looks nicer. Apart from the logos, it's you know, just a choice of materials and different colors, isn't it? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Speaking of shared cars and shared platforms, there is a new Toyota Avanza out. Yes, and you know, I got to say, this looks quite nice. I mean... The current Avanza looks a little bit too futuristic. Again, you know, too many sharp edges, too many sharp points. But this one, even though it's got some sharp points and edges, it looks very purposeful. It looks like it won't get boring so fast. And then it looks bigger. It is bigger, isn't it? Yes. It's almost the size of the first Innova. It's been a decade since the old one was launched and a lot of MPVs, well, affordable MPVs have come in and, you know, changed the game. Especially the Mitsubishi Expander, which is much bigger. Yeah. So when this comes in now, the Mitsubishi Expander actually has a rival in the market. For I'm talking about Malaysia. Yeah. As mentioned, it's bigger. The general design of the car, it's it looks quite good. Uh, one criticism of the old Avanza was it felt like if you touched it, it would break apart. It seemed brittle. <laughs> but uh, this new Avanza looks tough, you know, tough in the right ways it still seems quite friendly to families and you know if you look closely at the nose the front eh, mm. 
You put it side by side with the Perdua Ativa. They look very similar. <laughs> yes. To me, they took a Toyota Ativa and they said, let's stretch it, give it a third row seat. And Bob's your uncle. We've got a new Toyota Avanza. Speaking of the Perdua Ativa, this is built on that same platform, isn't it? The DNGA platform? Yes, you're right. Which, if you know anything about Perdua, Daihatsu and Toyota's complicated relationship. Everybody's looking forward to a new Alza, but I think it's not coming. I heard rumours. I'm not too sure. I heard rumours. You heard it here first? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Okay. I heard rumours that Perdua is thinking of discontinuing the Alza and instead concentrating on expanding the Arus because the Arus is a seven-seater. The Arus is a bigger vehicle. The Arus is a good-looking vehicle with a lot of features and it's doing really well in the market. So mm-hmm. they might as well just... Um, Concentrate on that instead of having another new vehicle coming into the market, which is going to, in a way, compete with the Arus. If you are correct, that would be a really controversial move. You see, the thing is, the current Alza is not that big. It's like a Myvi that's been stretched, right? Yeah. And the third row is really small. But it makes sense as a like a wagonish Perdua, and people love it. I know people who still want to buy one. But when you get this new version coming into market and you manufacture it here as an Alza, immediately the sales of the Arus will reduce because the low-spec Arus will feel left out. People would rather buy the Alza. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about the new Alza if it comes out. So I think Perdua's move is quite smart because they're saying, you know, we've got a lot of cars in the mix. Also, because Perdua needs to move forward in terms of hybrid technology. And you know, they're testing the new Activa hybrid in Malaysia right now. We saw yep. the car. We took a picture of it. Mm-hmm. It was being tested right on the main road of Jalan University. So the thing is now, if they're already testing that hybrid, and that's a very fuel-efficient vehicle, it could mean that other versions of this hybrid vehicle will come out. You get what I mean? Or not? Yeah. Which brings us to the facelifted MyView. Ah, going to be launched tomorrow. Yes, or if you're listening to us on Sunday, it's already been launched. In that case, it's a fantastic car, brilliant, everything. But we don't know what it looks like. There's kind of an embargo on it (laughs) um, at the moment. But uh, it's been facelifted. Uh, It features Perdua's more prominent grille, vertical lights, and, you know, stuff that we can already see from all the spy shots. But I think one of the biggest news about this new MyV is that it will come with something called PSDA, which is Perdua Smart Drive Assist. Essentially, you get all the safety kit, Toyota Smart Sense, repackaged in a way. Not really. Please don't get angry at me, Toyota or Perdua. <laughs> you get the pre collision warning, uh, pre collision braking, blind spot monitor, rear cross traffic alert, even adaptive cruise control, and even includes things that may stop MyV drivers from doing MyV driver things, which is like front departure alert. So if you're at stoplight and somebody pulls out in front of you and you're still playing with your phone, the car will warn you. Pedal misoperation control, lane departure warning and assist. And if uh, MyV is tailgating somebody and flashing their high beams against you, the glare can avoid you. So, yes, you know, lots of uh, safety features, jokes aside. One of the things I guess that we should be able to find out is whether this new eSmart hybrid system uh, might be making its way into this new MyV. What do you think, Daniel? I can't say much. But I'll say this. I'll say this. The new MyV will have safety features that you'll find in cars costing almost double the price. Yep. Cars not from Purdue. I'm talking about from its rivals, rival brands, Japanese brands costing double the price. They've loaded this car with so many safety features. I can't think how they're going to make it better in the next five to six years. Unless they go autonomous or they go completely you know, electric. But this <laughs> new car, it's fully loaded. That's what I can say. Fully 
loaded. And for you know the general Malaysian public who buys lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of MIBs, this is a very very good thing because it sets the bar higher for everybody else to follow, doesn't it? Yes, and I got to say this: the bad part is people who bought the current MIB up to last month are going to be really upset <laughs> because it's not much more money from what I can tell. And you're getting so much more. So people who collected their Myvi last month are going to say, why did you do this? You know, but you know, that's life. When you talk about new cars, that's life. Because the departure from the old Myvi and this Myvi is huge. We have quite an interesting car that reminds us of the size of the Myvi. And that's the Honda SUV RS concept. It's currently being called the Z. RV and it's yet another crossover to fit in Honda's imaginative SUV name convention. So I guess the Z in ZRV stands for Gen Z buyers. <laughs> well, maybe. But the thing is, what they've done is now they've taken the, the the HRV and made it smaller. And you know, a lot of people they always talk about cars growing bigger, bigger, bigger. Now they're going smaller because why? There's a lot of people now who just want small, compact, little crossovers. Yep. And this market has blossomed. Look at the Nissan Juke. I mean, it's not sold here, but it's a small cross. Crossover doing well. CHR, small crossover. Mazda CX3, small crossover. Mm-hmm. So Honda has seen that market and said, hey, you know, I can play in this market. At the same time, it's going to hit directly at the Perdua Ativa. Because why? That's a small crossover. This was launched in Indonesia. That means coming to Malaysia is a big possibility. You know, whether it's manufactured here or manufactured in Indonesia, doesn't matter because it's all after countries, you know? Yeah. If this comes into Malaysia, I think the price could be easily below 90,000 ringgit. And that could also convince a lot of small car buyers to move up to this crossover. I have a feeling perhaps move down from Proton X50 buyers. <laughs> well, you could say that, but you know, don't be surprised if Proton brings in an X30. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. They do have one in Geely. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very interesting car. It's something that Malaysians in general will look forward to. I'm quite attracted to this car. It's quite small, it's quite funky, it's cool, and it's sporty. However, uh, we've had enough looking east. We need to look further east up to a point where it becomes west because Mm. we have a couple of Japanese cars um, that have been launched in American markets and American markets only. The first one... Oh, it almost broke the American internet because this is the return of the Integra name badge. And it's not a Honda anymore. It's an Acura, an Acura Integra. And it's not a coupe anymore. It's a four-door fastback. And Daniel, I am sure you have plenty to say about this. I only have one thing to say. <laughs> I am sorely disappointed. <laughs> sorely <laughs> disappointed. You know, after looking at all the spy shots, the close-ups and everything else, and you know, you know, you know the Integra. You know, if, if you're my age, you know the Integra from way back. Mm. It's always been something really sporty, unusual by itself. It's a product that Honda is proud to say, this is a sports car. Now, this one looks like the Civic. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, it is- and then using the Civic engine. You know, okay, like, you change the light and grill all a little bit and then you use the name Integrada. Cannot lah. I mean, don't get me wrong, Arif. It's a good-looking car. You know, the new Civic is also a really good-looking car. But the Integra has to be special. This this one, ah, you cannot fly, lah. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. But, uh, you know, considering how much Honda US, they listen to their customers, one day, they might drop in a, a 2-liter turbo in there or maybe a, the big daddy engine from the Honda Accord 
three yes, but six. the design you need a two door you need a two door coupe <laughs> sorry to break it to you Daniel but life is changing things are changing these days no no no, no. <laughs> I got I, I got two door car in my house I got kids I, they can sit at the back it's okay yeah so that's essentially the controversy that surrounds the Acura Integra despite yes. it being you know based on the Civic Si 1.5 liter turbo 200 horsepower limited slip diff six speed manual um, also the other fact is that that has to do with the looks. Some people have pointed out it looks like a stretched out Hyundai Genesis. Mm. And all the American journalists are making fun of this car because it looks like an old American spec uh, Honda Accord Crosswear, of which I will post up a comparison image of those three cars on our Instagram at BFM Cruise Control. And you can see how kind of similar they look. But having said all that, my loyalties does not stay with the original Integra. So I think, to me, I'd take this over the Civic, simply because I'm, I didn't grow up with the Integra. Yes. Well, that's one other car that we want to talk about before we head into the break, and that is the uh, Mazda CX-50. Mm. American-only car, right? Yeah, sadly, because this is really a good-looking Mazda. I mean, you look at the Mazda CX-5 nowadays, right? It's everywhere on Malaysian roads. It's soft, it's beautiful, it's curvaceous, it's so highly urban. And apparently that isn't good enough for the American market who want something more rugged, something that looks beefy and tough. So they sent the CX-5 to get the gym routine and some new dress codes to make it look tough. The powertrain of this CX-50 looks the same, but you get new bumpers, massive bumper claddings, a pair of blacked-out goggles for headlamps, and a roof rack, and of course, more muscular fenders. I think they look like flared arches. They almost look race car-like <laughs> with this one. To be honest, when I first saw the image, especially the image that, that you know I posted on DSF, I looked at it and I said to myself, take away that Mazda badge and you would think this is the new Mercedes GLA. I, I honestly don't see that, but Well, sure. take the GLA from this angle and look at it, the flat fenders, the slimmer glass house, the big grill in front, the slimmer lights, two-tone alloy wheels, the sidestep, the black cladding. It's, it's a chunky. Mercedes GLA. Yes, chunky, chunky looking, you know. I would prefer this over the regular CX-5 because I think the CX-5, you know, is, it's a nice looking car and everything. But when I no, think... I, of an I think you're just bored with it because there's so many on the road. Yeah, in, in a way too. But I don't know. I, I love the fact that some SUVs are going back to that uh, off-roady, ruggedy look that is, you know... Very Subaru. Think about it. In America, Subaru sells like hot piñatas. You know what I mean? They're, they're just selling over and over and they're doing so well in America. That has been one of their biggest markets for the longest time. So for Mazda to do this, they're hitting directly at Subas' massive slice of the segment, you know? If you had a choice, Forrester uh-huh. or CX-50? Uh, because this is new, I want this. <laughs> we all like new things. Uh, but you see, I'm waiting for the new Forrester to come out and also the new Subaru range of vehicles which are coming out next year. That could mean something different, you know? Well, that's plenty of other cars to, to look forward to in the next year and I guess towards the end of the year because it's, it's not even December yet. Yeah. Having said that, we do have to take a break because we are going to stop talking about new cars and going to talk about a cutesy little orange mm. Volkswagen called the Cross Polo. Is this the best little compact car you can buy today? Stay tuned to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
BFM 89.9. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. My name is Arif Roos and as usual, as you have heard, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my is on the phone line. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody. Good evening and thank you for still being with us. Sorry that Richard is not here with us today. Yeah, uh, we forgot to mention that, but like we always say, the man is busy, man. <laughs> he is very, very busy. So if you missed part one and part two of the show, we had some news about COP26, about Bond's new car, the brand new Avanza, a new Myvi, and the controversial Acura Integra. But we're now heading into our used car buying guide, and this week we're discussing the Volkswagen Cross Polo. But first... Tonight's used car review is powered by Carsum, Southeast Asia's largest integrated car buying and selling platform. Buy and sell cars with complete peace of mind at Carsum.my. Make it Carsum today. For this week, I'm always trying to see something different in the market, something that you know might tickle a different group of people. Now, most of the time, people come asking me, you know, hey, you know, I need, I'm looking for this car, I'm looking for that car. This week, nobody came looking for me. <laughs> What's happening, Daniel? Come on. <laughs> yeah, but I think people are getting bored with my, my, my use car advice. But, <laughs> but anyway, so I was thinking, you know, what's a nice, compact, premium used car to buy relatively cheap right now? So I went online and I was just browsing and browsing and browsing. I put in the price category. My price category was 20,000 ringgit. That's not a lot, to be honest. That's not a lot. And then I started looking at it. There's a lot of Japanese cars. There's some Korean cars. There's some SUVs and all that. By accident, I saw this car. And when I saw this car, I, I remembered it clearly because I remember driving it when it was launched. I remember even thinking about, you know, mm. buying it for my wife at that time and saying to myself, oh, if only it was cheaper, if only they priced it lower. So this is called the Volkswagen Cross Polo. Now, a few years before it was launched, Volkswagen, that time was not officially in Malaysia, but it was under a private importer. They did bring in this version of the Polo 1.4. Now, the Polo 1.4 had a nice little engine, I would say a sturdy interior. You know, a lot of hard plastics and everything else, but everything was very well put together. It was a playful little car. Not very fast, but you could chuck it around corners. It had, you know, nice, decent 15-inch wheels on it. Good handling. Of course, automatic, but you know, it was a simple um, four-speed auto gearbox. Nothing complicated. What Volkswagens used to supply to all countries, simple, basic, interesting motoring. You know what I mean? Just a point about that interior thing. Right. Yes, they might have some cheap materials, but nothing looks cheap. They don't look cheap. You know, only when you touch and feel, you might realize, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit cheapy. But you know, these older Volkswagens, the great thing about their interiors is they don't get sticky, they don't break, they don't crack, they don't go brittle. Mm -hmm. So this is called the Cross Polo. So the Cross Polo came officially with a couple of years later when Volkswagen Malaysia was set up. Yeah. So the private importer had resigned from the business and Volkswagen Malaysia brought it in. Of course, it was fully imported and then they loaded it with a lot of features. So at that time, it came with six airbags. Try and remember, this was 2007, you know? Yeah. So you get six airbags, you get a slightly raised platform. You got those nice black cladding at the side, which, you know, the Subaru XV has and all that. So to give you that crossover look. But basically, it's it's a compact hatch, you know? It's essentially a 2007 version of the Iris Cross yes, or whatever it's called. Yes, yes, correct, correct. This is the grandfather, you know, who started the whole thing. And then you get, you know, roof rails, you know, which is not necessary, like, you know, you're not going to carry things on the roof, like, you know, but they give that crossover look. But end of the day, you get in the car, it's still very much the same. But the difference now is you get six airbags, you get a nicer interior, nicer, I mean, talking about trim, color options and everything else. And you also get bigger wheels. Now, when we took this car for test drive, 
we realized straight away there was a bit more power because it had a 1.6 engine mm-hmm. and then it had a slightly different configuration on the gearbox. So initial pickup was very good. So even for a small car with five people in it, you could get going very quickly. Climbing hills were no problem. Consumption was very good. This engine and gearbox combination was very similar to what was found in the Golf Mark IV. Mm. Now, the Golf Mark IV was one of the best-selling Volkswagen Golfs globally. It sold so well. It outsold the Mark I, Mark II, Mark III. But it was a very boring-looking vehicle. You know, nothing exciting about it like, like the Mark V or the Mark VII, you know? But it was so reliable, so sturdy. It just, you know, people talking about 200,000 miles still can run. 250,000 miles still can run. Hardly anything breaks. Everything works. Nothing gets brittle. Nothing gets discolored. Things like that. Yeah. So this Cross Polo uses the same engine and gearbox. So you can be assured of utmost reliability. That's what I'm trying to say. None of that TSI, DSG. Yeah, because this car came out before the TSI was introduced and before the DSG. So you get everything simple, cheerful and reliable. Mm. Mm. Okay, so now this 1.6 engine is 105 PS. Might sound low, but let me tell you, there's enough pep in it. 153 Newton meters of torque. Again, there's enough of torque in it. Especially if you're like a single person like yourself, you're carrying three girlfriends, there's enough power, no problem. You know? <laughs> and that six-speed auto gearbox is so simple and easy to use. Yeah. So when I looked through the specs of this car and you know, brought back memories and I was looking at the prices and I remember when they launched this car, they launched it at 124 thousand ringgit which back then was quite quite a lot of money because i'll give you an example few years later renault launched the captor which is very close you know very close cousin but the captor is more like a crossover because it's even higher but it's about the same size and everything the captor was hundred and eighteen thousand and had more spec and more features on it and then remember the first generation subaru xv yes when it arrived the initial price was ninety nine thousand ringgit Yep, I remember that. And it was also slightly bigger and slightly more spacious. And it had a bigger engine. So at that time, this Volkswagen was a premium offering. But you must understand, Volkswagen being German, fully imported, it priced itself very close to what BMW and Mercedes and Volvo were pricing themselves, the rest of the European competitors. But Mm. Malaysians didn't see that. They said, "Mm, this car, Volkswagen, so much. So the problem is numbers. Very few numbers were sold. But if you check the classifieds, I only saw two actually. <laughs> the two the two cars <laughs> for sale were basically one owner cars. And one was priced at sixteen thousand, another was priced at twenty two eight hundred. For how special, I guess, for how rare this car is in Malaysia, I really would have expected something more like twenty five and thirty. That was what I thought. So then I realized you see, it's not easy to sell this car because when I call both numbers, both of the cars have been on sale for a long time. Yeah. And they were very eager to show me the car. They were very, very eager to... One of them was a dealer said, I'll even bring the car to your office, you know? Wow. He said, no, hold on, hold on. You know, I'm still checking. I mean, I, I, I made myself sound like, you know, I don't know anything. I said, this one, uh, 1.4, 1.6. You know, because I don't want them to know that I'm doing research, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to waste the time. I just want some information on the phone. But the guy who was selling for twenty three for 22800 which is almost 23000 was quick to say, I can let it go for twenty. That's curious. Yeah. So, 
it's not easy to sell this car. And the reason is because a lot of people don't know about it. And also when they look at it, they say, what car is this? Uh? Reliable or not? A problem or not? Because they don't know the, the history of this car. So after this show, all the cross polos in Malaysia will be sold out, you know? <laughs> because, you know, we got the highest number of audience in the whole country, you know? Yeah, allegedly. So both cars were still in original color, one owner, full service history. They had all the, you know, the details to share with me. And I said, no, no, it's okay. Thank you very much. So what I'm trying to tell people is if you're looking for a small, compact car, a safe car. I mean, this car scored 86% for child safety and Euro NCAP with five stars. I mean, at that time, it was getting the same safety rating as, say, a Golf GTI Mark V or mm. a Volkswagen Touran MPV, which is class leading for its time, you know? Yep, yep. And if you think about the price today, at 20,000 ringgit, I'm sure I can push it down to maybe even 18 or 19. At about 20,000 ringgit, you're getting a car that's going to be reliable, take five people. Yes, the boot is small. It's about 25% smaller than a Golf Mark V, but you can still fold the seats down, you know? Yep. So for a single guy like you with a lot of girlfriends or, you know, a young married <laughs> couple with no kids or maybe even a retired couple who's just looking to buy a car cash and keep it, you know, into their twilight years. Yep. This is great because you got very high roof line. So getting in and out is very easy. You got solid, comfortable seats. Taking this car out station on long drives is not an issue mm -hmm. because you got 16 inch wheels, you got a nice footprint, it's solid feel. In fact, this car feels more solid than the current generation Polo Invento, you know? That's big praise. Yes, because this car came from Germany. The current Polo Invento are actually products that are built at the uh, at their factory in India. I'm not saying it's it's a it's a inferior product but it's not as well built as this original cross polo just on that point about you know perhaps an old elderly couple who's trying to look for their you know the car to take into the twilight years that was yes. a really really good point because when i brought up the proton iris it kind of like ticked me about something same amount of power same amount of features this cross polo has uh six airbags so why would you want to spend an extra thirty four thousand eight hundred on a brand new iris well you, you'll buy the new iris because you're thinking about after sales and warranty but if you're not thinking about those things if you're not thinking about those things if you've got a reliable volkswagen mechanic i got a reliable volkswagen mechanic you can contact me i'll, I'll share his number with you this car, spare parts, no issue. Fixing it, not expensive. Length of reliability, long. Because you know why? I used to own a Golf Mark IV. These cars are solid built, you know? Mm. The older, made-in-Germany cars. And look at the shape. It still doesn't look aged. If you get the car all buffed up and shiny and everything else, and you drive into someone's house, they say, hey, you bought a new car. Totally agree with that, yeah. And 20,000 ringgit. These days, what car can you buy for 20,000 ringgit, which is not that old? I mean, this car is 14 years old. That has still got six airbags, ABS, and is rock solid. Nothing. You can't, you can't buy much with those. Yes. So it, I think it's good value. I think it's a car which a lot of people should think about. And it's depreciated by 80 to 85%. What else do you want? <laughs> you know, how much can you lose? Even if you bought it for a couple of years or three years. For example, if you have a young teenager who's just learning to drive, this could be an option over buying a second-hand Myvi. Great point. And with that, should we close up the review? I think we should. Anything else you want to add about this wonderful cross polo, this happy little car? I think if you don't act on it, it's all going to be sold out in Malaysia. And we'll all be missing it. Yes. That was tonight's used car review on the 2007 Volkswagen cross polo 1.6. As Daniel mentioned, don't miss out on it. If you find one on the used car market, it's genuinely worth checking out for 20,000 ringgit. Yes. Are you interested in getting a Volkswagen or any other used cars? Buy your next car from the largest selection of quality used cars from carsum.my. 
All Carsum certified cars have passed a strict 175 point inspection, come with 5 day money back guarantee, 1 year warranty, and fixed prices with no hidden fees. Buy and sell cars with complete peace of mind at Carsum.my. Make it Carsum today. As usual, if you've missed any part of this show, you can head to bfm.my to check out all of our cruise control podcasts as well as our other podcasts on bfm.my. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or most podcast apps that you use. You can also visit us on Instagram at bfm cruise control. You can read more interesting articles about what interesting used cars Daniel is looking at week by week at dsf.my. Correcto? Yes, you're right. And on behalf of Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my, my name is Arif Roos, and we'll see you next week on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9, the business station. for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes bfm 89.9 the business station